Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who's been working double time on the seduction line. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today in the garage, we are sipping on a wonderful Pilsner by the Freem Family Brewers. The first thing you will notice about Freem Pilsner is the brilliant gold color, and the ABV is just right at 4.9%. And Freem is spelled P-F-R-I-E-M if you are looking for this one in stores or online. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. And today's beer was brought to us by all of you wonderful listeners. And we have a couple of shout-outs. First, we go to Andrea. In Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And a big shout-out to Jamie in Olito, Texas. Next up, a big shout-out and cheers to Katie and Tim in Orinoco, Minnesota. And a big shout-out to David B. in Parts Unknown. And here's a beach cheers to Angela in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And last but certainly not least, we have Holly, who sends along some case suggestions. And I think Holly is in Warwick, Rhodes Island. If not, thank you to Holly, wherever she may be, and thank you to everyone for filling up the fridge for today's show. If you want to help us out with next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. For all of our old episodes, check us out exclusively on the Stitcher app, and also check out our weekly show, Off the Record, on Stitcher Premium, and that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Fifty-nine-year-old John D. Miller in for questioning. They asked if he knew why they wanted to talk with them. According to a probable cause affidavit, he replied, "April Tinsley. It's Fort Wayne's most notorious cold case. April 1st, 1988, is the last time anyone saw the eight-year-old girl alive." Police canvassed her neighborhood after April's mother, Janet Tinsley, reported her missing. 
Three days later, April 4th, her body was found in a ditch near County Road 68. She was molested, suffocated. Her death ruled a homicide. A forensic exam of her underwear revealed DNA from an unknown male, but it wasn't until 30 years later that police were able to find a match. DNA from condoms found in 2014 matched the DNA in Tinsley's underwear, and in 2018, the suspect's DNA was narrowed down to two surviving brothers. John D. Miller was one of them. Police collected several items from Miller's trash can located near his trailer in the 13,000 block of Main Street in Grable, including three used condoms. And three days later, July 9, 2018, authorities learned the DNA from those condoms was consistent with that of the DNA found in Tinsley's underwear in 1988. According to a probable cause affidavit, detectives told Miller they had a DNA match in the rape and murder of Tinsley. That's when Miller admitted to abducting Tinsley from Hoagland Street in Fort Wayne, taking her to his trailer and having sex with her. He reportedly told police he choked her to death so that she would not report him to the police. Then he dumped her body the next day. That was just one year ago when in July of 2018, and thank God for the arrest made in the 30-year-old cold case of April Tinsley. That clip you heard is from CBS News. Now, we covered April's case a while ago back in December of 2015, True Crime Garage episode number seven. With this arrest, Captain, came the speculation that John Miller could also be linked to the Delphi murders. Miller was later convicted of the murder of eight-year-old April Tinsley and sentenced to 80 years in prison. When asked if Miller was a possible suspect, Indiana State Police Sergeant Kim Riley would not give a detailed statement, saying only, quote, we have a thousand names out there and we are still looking at all of them. And he added he was being intentionally vague with that statement. In the following month, this is August 2018, in an interview with the Gazette, a man that we spoke at length about in yesterday's episode, Daniel Nations, the man arrested in Colorado and believed to have some connection, possible connection to the Delphi murders. As we know, he was from Indiana and wanted by the state of Indiana. In this interview, he denies any involvement in the Delphi murders, stating that he gave his DNA samples to Indiana authorities and said, quote, I just want people to know the truth that I am not a monster. Nations was sentenced in relation to the threatening charges that he faced in Colorado and eventually sentenced in Indiana on unrelated charges for failing to register as a sex offender. So his statement, Daniel Nations, is that he gave DNA samples to Indiana authorities. Again, does not mean that they have DNA or does do not have DNA. And also, I'm not asking anybody out there to believe this sex offender who refuses to check in and is also guilty of swinging a hatchet at people on the trails out in Colorado. That's just his words. All right, continuing on the timeline, we're going to get another suspect on November 19th, 2018. This is when a man entered a Catholic supply store in a strip mall in St. Louis County, Missouri. The man was armed, and he ordered women in the store at gunpoint into the back room. Once there, he ordered them to strip, and he sexually assaulted two women before shooting another woman in the head. 53-year-old Jamie Schmidt later died after being transported to the hospital. The man left the store. One of the victims called 911. This call came in at 3.19 p.m. Responding officers found no evidence at the crime scene to help them identify this suspect. Witness descriptions to police detailed the perpetrator as a white male, about 5 feet 7 inches tall, with a heavy build and aged between 40 and 50 years of age. 
The description was updated by police the next day that the perpetrator was five feet, seven inches tall to five feet, nine inches tall, wearing a paper boy style hat, a navy blue Carhartt style jacket, and a red, white, and black plaid shirt and blue jeans. Officers interviewed workers at neighboring businesses and a server at the Hot Shots Sports Bar recognized the description of the suspect as matching that of a man who recently left his business card at the business. Police sifted through the trash, found the card, and immediately went to his home and arrested Thomas Bruce. This manhunt lasted just under two days. This put Thomas Bruce in the spotlight of the press. Some noted his similar stature of five foot seven to five foot nine inches to the then current suspect description in the Delphi slangs. Also, he was wearing a flat cap, which many suspect the bridge guy is wearing a flat cap. He was wearing a navy blue jacket and blue jeans and his sexual murder attack, which he did in broad daylight, not unlike the suspect in the Delphi case. Indiana State Police did look into this possible connection. On December 4th, 53-year-old Thomas Bruce was charged with no less than 17 felony counts related to the St. Louis case and could face the death penalty. He was later charged in an unrelated case, this resulting from a case from September 2018 that involved kidnapping, sexual assault, and robbery. Now, what I find fascinating about this scenario here, Captain, this Thomas Bruce, who's obviously a complete monster, Mm -hmm. but there are some similarities. I'm not going to say that he looks like the bridge guy. I'm not going to say that he looks unlike the bridge guy, but what really jumps off of the page immediately is that he, he he seems to be wearing a similar outfit to the bridge guy. And the outfit is much easier to see in that grainy photo than the face of the man. Mm-hmm. So if, in fact, the bridge guy is wearing a cap, this would have been a similar style hat. He's also wearing a navy blue jacket when he commits this crime and blue jeans. And again, this is a crime that he didn't mind going into this place in the middle of broad daylight in the middle of the afternoon and committing this horrible attack that ends the end result is a murder yeah his we've got no update as far as thomas bruce goes if if there's been anything more to connect him to the delphi case other than just public speculation on january 8th 2019 charles andrew eldridge one ugly bastard age 46 was arrested after allegedly arranging to meet for sex with a police officer who was posing as a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. He faces multiple charges, including two counts of child molestation. During the course of news coverage of his arrest, local Indiana residents noticed his mugshot and said it resembles the sketch of Abby and Libby's alleged killer. And these calls made their way very quickly to the police tip line. After receiving multiple calls, the Indiana State Police made the following statement. Quote, I can promise you this. When an arrest is made of a suspect identified as the alleged perpetrator of the Delphi murders, rest assured, we will let everyone know. It is important for the public and the media to know that many similar tips and arrests of other persons alleged to be connected to the Delphi murders occur with some frequency in and outside of Indiana. Each tip, whether it receives media attention or not, is investigated for any connection to the Delphi case, end quote. Calling Mr. Eldridge an ugly bastard is being very kind to him. He's fugly. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. He's he's fugly not only in looks but personality and character. This yeah. is this is a bad guy. This is a disgusting person. Mm-hmm. And we talked about him on off the record. He, I, I can see some resemblance a little bit again, but it, you're questioning what, what you think that you're seeing in the picture of the bridge guy. Right. It's so difficult with him. The bridge guy 
is to me, at least in facial appearance, not as fugly as Eldridge. Mm. He appeared to me, the bridge guy appears younger than Eldridge and probably thinner and smaller. Eldridge, Eldridge, I don't know if it's just that he's so ugly, but he, like when you see pictures of him, he, he presents like an opposing stature, like a, an opposing figure. It's just, there's something very evil about that man. When you know I see that pictures face, of him. you know, that face you make when you, uh, eat a sour patch kid. Mm. It's like, that's the kind of face you make when you see his picture. Yeah. Like, it's scary. It's oh. scary. Just two days after this, the Indiana state police say that there is no evidence thus far to suggest that Eldridge has any connection to the Delphi case in a news release. Randolph County police said, quote, outside of the person resembling the sketch, there is currently zero evidence that ties him to this case. Right. And he is not a suspect in the case. Although we understand that people are trying to help the investigation by doing this with zero evidence other than a mere appearance, it can also hurt or hinder an investigation, the department said. In a more recent report, Captain Dave Burstyn says there is no evidence suggesting or disproving whether Eldridge is connected to the case. And this was a similar thing where right when this news broke, it was like Facebook went nuts. And now it's like this, the case is solved, um, even though then it's just, you know, waiting around for the next person that somebody's going to go, well, this must be it. Um, so, so law enforcement's getting a lot of tips from armchair detectives, a lot of mm-hmm. tips from the community. Mm-hmm. But you know what I think is interesting there, captain, what you were getting into and you're, you're exactly right is several times throughout this investigation. And I think that's where the community stands and where, the state of Indiana stands, and I would I would venture to say that the the nation as well, that this is such a big story, such a big case, something that is on a lot of people's minds and hurts everyone's hearts. Right. That they want this case solved, and so there is a bit of a freak out period when when a new person is brought to light as a potential suspect, as a potential bridge guy. There is that little freak out period that goes on. Now, what I will say where I will pat everyone on the back for in the, in the general public Mm -hmm. is that I think that that freak out period was, was tempered a bit from the first time we saw that happen. When Daniel nations was arrested in Colorado, the hype and the freak out in the, everybody going crazy on the message boards and on social media was so crazy that that actually really messed up the investigation and messed things up for the the families and the the living victims of this crime and murders because they 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 were stuck right. for a while walking around going shit people think this is has been solved yeah we got to get the word out that it hasn't been solved. Yeah, there were a lot of people in the general public that were walking around thinking after Daniel Nations was arrested that this case has been solved when in fact no no, it has not. And so that's where I give some kudos because I think we all. We look, learned a lesson. We learned a lesson. We, we, yes, we've, we've learned. And, and now we've, we've able to contain that excitement a little bit. That's how bad everybody wants to see an arrest in this case. But we're able to contain that excitement to the point where we're not freaking out and people thinking that the case is closed. Again, Indiana State Police have said very clearly mm-hmm. when there's an arrest made in the Delphi murders case, we will tell everybody. We'll let you know. Yeah. So this this brings us to the two-year anniversary of the disappearance. So February 13th, 2019, just earlier this year, two-year anniversary of Libby and Abby's disappearance, authorities vowed that they would bring the person responsible to justice, saying this is not a cold case. And I want to... Back that up. Everything that I can see, Captain, this thing appears to be very far from cold. The prosecutor, the Carroll County prosecutor, Nicholas McLeland, told reporters, this case is not closed. We are not done with this investigation. There are countless people working on this every day. And, Captain, remember when the public 
was reminded several times about what the state police are looking for. Mm -hmm. Most people have seen the posters and the statements by Indiana State Police that say, what is a good tip? So what are they looking for? And anyone who comes forward with information is asked to include the following if possible. So if you're going to submit a tip, they're hoping that they can get from you your suspect's name the date of birth or approximate age, a physical description, possibly their address and or vehicle information, a specific reason why you believe this person should be considered a suspect, a possible motive, and any possible connection that that person may have to the Delphi community. But this is not going to be the last person that people get excited about. There is going to be a murder that takes place, an arrest that's made pretty quickly, and this is another one that people are going to start looking into and and trying to build the connection. Yes, and I feel like there there currently are probably two individuals that a lot of people are focusing on right now, and we're going to get into to both of them. This brings us to Saturday, March thirtieth, two thousand nineteen. And this is when a body is found just about six miles northwest of Kentland in Newton County, Indiana, which is northwest of Carroll County and Delphi. The city of Delphi is in Carroll County, so not terribly far away. And the way that this case works out is the property owner finds a body wrapped in a gray blanket on a wooden floor mm-hmm. of a shipping type container. So some people are familiar with this. This was actually used as some type of hunting shack or has been referred to at least in the newspapers as a hunting shack. Right. But sometimes people will take these storage shipping type containers that you would see on a, I don't know, on a barge or on a, on a train or something like that. Right. And use them as a, as a makeshift building. Yeah, sometimes people turn these into houses. And people that live in the city and have never lived in the country may not understand this, but there are a lot of people, especially hunters, that own property that they may not even live on. That they own this property, it's out in BFE somewhere, and once in a while when they can break away from work, they go out there and they enjoy hunting and fishing and things like that. Well, This property, the property owner goes out to this, what's being referred to as a hunting shack and finds this body wrapped in this gray blanket and reports the body. This is around 2.38 p.m. on March 30th. This whole case has really inspired a lot of thought and speculation regarding if it, in fact, could be connected to Delphi. And I think for several reasons. One, given the proximity to the city of Delphi. And two, the headlines are woman found tortured in a hunting shack or in a shed. Some of the headlines say shed. So I think where we see the outdoor type murder, there's another belief and there's another connection. And yeah, yeah. this may sound... I'm sure it doesn't sound silly to anyone, but as we go through these, the more that we bring up, it might seem a little strange that there's just one after another, after another, you got to keep in mind that this is just proof that you shouldn't move to Indiana. (laughs) We are doing, we are doing Indiana no favors in Mm. this episode. That's for sure. This episode these last two episodes have not been sponsored by Indiana. We're in Ohio, so um, mm-hmm. we're not, not too terribly far. But here's here's the general thought. The bridge guy, the killer of two young girls out in broad daylight, mm-hmm. has to be such an evil individual. Many suspect that either this is not the first time that he's killed, or if it was, it wouldn't be the last. And that's why when we see this time and time again of something happening, of another case happening elsewhere, somewhat close, if it has any ties at all, if it has any possible similarities that people are making the jump and they want to know more about that case, the new case, 
because they want to know if, in fact, the the monster that committed those crimes could be the same monster as the guy on the bridge that day. This story is very odd, and it's actually a pretty simple story. When you first hear the headlines, tortured woman's body found in a shed or in a hunting shack, your imagination runs wild. And when you really start to see and and understand the facts of the case as we currently understand them weeks later, you see that a connection is a little rough, but there are some interesting things that, that if you're fine with it, Captain, we'll get into after I go through what is believed took place in this actual case. Mm-hmm. Okay, so unfortunately, the victim here was eventually identified as Nicole L. Bowen. She is a mother of two. She's 30 years old from West Lafayette. And of course, foul play was immediately suspected. What ends up taking place here? And I don't know exactly where the fingerprints were found, but they find fingerprints either on the body or items used to discard the body or in that shed or hunting shack. Mm -hmm. They find fingerprints that are going to lead them to a suspect. Okay. So it wasn't very tough for them to find out who they wanted to talk to immediately. Who they end up talking to, the owner of the fingerprints, is Garrett Kurtz. He is 21 years old of Lebanon, Indiana. He is, it takes some time, but there is an arrest that's made. In fact, there are five arrests that are made in this case. Okay, so we have Garrett Kurtz, who we're going to spend the most time talking about. But we also have Ashley Garth who is 26 years old. She is from Delphi, Indiana. We have Christopher Mathias, 27 years old, of Kentland. Jasmine Parker, 34, of Kentland. And Talitha Beckley. Apologize for that, Captain, but it looks like Talitha. Talitha. Don't don't apologize. It's a shitty name. 36 years old of Monticello. So, Why are so many people arrested in this case? Kurtz, once arrested, he's going to do some talking, and I'm sure these others did talking as well. Now, I'm a little uncertain of the location, but very early on in this case, the newspapers were reporting that police believed that Bowen was killed elsewhere, that she was probably very likely killed miles away, and that her body was dumped in or around the shed, right? So right there, we can see that the headline of woman found tortured in a shed is very different from what actually happened. She wasn't tortured in that shed. She wasn't held captive in that shed, abducted elsewhere and brought there. What took place was she was just, her body was just attempted to be concealed there. The way this went down is Nicole Bowen has a connection to Garrett Kurtz. It sounds like they may have even had a relationship at one time. There was some kind of beef between Nicole Bowen and this Ashley Garth. I don't know where this was to take place, but the way that this went down was there was supposed to be some type of meeting between Bowen and Garth. What we can't confirm is if Bowen was going along with this or not, if she was into this meeting or if she was brought there against her will. Right. What we do know is she arrives at a trailer. Garrett Kurtz brought her to this trailer. I've heard a couple of different um, news reports, one stating that the, the trailer was owned by Garrett Kurtz, the other saying that it was owned by Ashley Garth. I can't say who out of this out of this batch of losers owned the trailer. But anyway, Nicole Bowen is brought there. She does not want to go into the trailer. At some point there is an altercation, a physical fight that starts to take place between her and Ashley Garth. Again, it's my understanding that Nicole Bowen was a one-time girlfriend possibly of Kurt's and that Ashley Garth was the current 
girlfriend of Garrett Kurtz. Mm. There's some kind of physical altercation. A fight breaks out between the two. It also sounds like it was expected or suspected by others there that this fight would likely take place if the two saw each other face to face. Oh, so these these women are going to fight over this piece of shit. I can't say that for certain. Mm. I've seen pictures of this dude and there's videos of this dude online and I don't know why ants would fight over this he, guy. He's he's fugly as well. Here's here's my guess. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know that it's been publicly stated, but I'm going to go off of mugshot photos and what I strongly suspect is happening here. I think that all of these individuals that we've named are involved in drugs, very likely in meth. And this dispute could have been over this, this man, if you want to call him that, or it could have been over something else. But we do know there was some kind of beef between Bowen and Garth. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get 
their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, me mateys. Cheers, Captain. Regarding this, are you all- gonna start patting us on the backside again? Patting you on the back, backside, whichever. I one. didn't say backside. <laughs> um, regarding this fight, so we where we left off, we have Nicole Bowen and Ashley Garther in the middle of a, a fight, a physical fight, to which, according to the prosecutor in this case. Garrett Kurtz jumps in the middle of this fight and how he gets involved in this is he puts Nicole Bowen in a headlock, wraps his arm around her neck. He tightens his arm until she goes unconscious till he puts her on the floor. According to the information I could find it, it it appears that he did not want her to wake up, but this didn't, he didn't just keep choking her. He started going throughout the the trailer and finding implements to help him choke, strangle, suffocate her to to lead to her her death. All right, so there was a fight going on. He jumps in the middle. He puts her in some kind of chokehold. She then passes out, and then he's now going around finding objects to help him choke her with. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so at one point he uses an extension cord. At one point he uses a bag over her head. Um, ropes and so on and so forth were used in this manner. That's why when her body is found, they are saying that it appears that she has been tortured. Meanwhile, all these other disgraces that are standing around in the trailer, they do not stop Kurtz from from killing this woman. Now, at the... At the trailer itself, it's just Kurtz and these other women that we mentioned. And again, those names are Jasmine Parker, Talitha Beckley, as well as his girlfriend, Ashley Garth. So what occurs after Bowen is killed 
is Kurtz gets his vehicle. He backs it up to the trailer. He places her body inside his vehicle. And now he's going to call Christopher Mathias, his 27 year old buddy of Kentland, Indiana and say, Hey, I got a body here. Can you help me? And Christopher Mathias will very quickly agree to help Mr. Kurtz dispose of this body. They drove around until they found what they thought to be the perfect place to dump uh, Miss Bowen's body. And as we know, the body is eventually found. All five of these terrible people are eventually arrested, and now they're waiting to go to trial. Some of them have had their first day in court. It's going to be interesting to see who turns on who and, and, and how more complete this story can get because the tricky thing here is it sounds like a lot of this information, whether it be verified by the others or not, is in fact being provided by Kurtz. The one good thing out of this whole terrible story is that Kurtz is a monster as well as these other four, and they are no longer on the street. They are locked up and currently behind bars. Here's where we end up with a lot of problems. We've already talked about where the headlines lead the public and and people to speculate that this Kurtz individual could be possibly connected to the Delphi double slaying. There is also some consensus that maybe he resembles the bridge guy in some form. There is also people that, well, this is actually going to stem from the next thing on our timeline, which I think we should get into real quick and we'll, we'll circle back to Garrett Kurtz. Yeah, because what happens next, it really changed almost everything that we thought we knew about this case. Yeah, on April 22nd, the Indiana State Police release new audio, new video, and a new sketch of the suspect as they announce a new direction at a press conference. So never before released video taken from Libby's cell phone shows a man walking toward the two girls. That's released. Authorities also release more phone audio of a man saying guys. Mm -hmm. So now we have, before we had down the hill, now we have guys down the hill. They also release a new younger looking sketch of the suspect who they believe has ties to the Delphi area. Authorities say he is between 18 and 40 years old. This was a, to say the least captain, so, this was um, a very powerful press conference. Yeah. On top of that, we have this, like we said, this new drawing, which goes, wow, this, this uh, perpetrator might've been way younger than we thought he was. The new drawing, too, looks nothing like the old drawing. Right. So. Yeah. And and so if you thought Daniel Nations looked like the first drawing, well, he doesn't look anything like the second drawing. Anybody that was arrested, uh, like we said, people fishing for answers and, and going, hey, he kind of looks like the drawing. Well, now we have a whole new drawing. So that just kind of it changes the whole game. Yeah, so as far as Garrett Kurtz is concerned, and like I said, he's one of the one of the big names right now that people are suspicious of. There is audio, there's a video of him online where he's saying the word guys. He's saying something yeah, guys. like I got a vent here for a little bit, guys. And he it doesn't sound unlike what is released from the police. Yeah, the, it, it's a very hard G. Yeah. Which, when you hear it, uh, guys down the hill or, or down the hill guys, uh, it's a very, like, it's just, it's almost like a weird accent. And then you hear the, the comparison audio and you go, that I, I see where they're, where they're saying they're similar. The only issue that I have with that is it, you could not talk about a smaller sample size. For right. comparison purposes, it's yes. one single word where you're taking that from Garrett Kurtz when he's, he appears to be high or drunk or both mm -hmm. smoking a cigarette. And he, he, when he says guys, it almost looks to me like he's inhaling as he says the word guys. So I don't know that that's his natural speak, but I mm -hmm. guess we also can't say that the bridge guy was talking normally as well during 
that whole situation. Right. So a lot of people find that similar. Um, I think that uh, the big thing was that his ex-girlfriend was from Delphi. So that would put a connection between him and, and the actual location. Regardless of where she's from or where she was living, he doesn't live terribly far from Delphi. Right. So I, I take, I, I put more thought into that than where his girlfriend's from. There's a lot of people from Delphi. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it jumps off the page to people immediately when they're reading the newspaper article going, wait, this guy and these people did this horrible thing. Wait, there's the word Delphi in there. Well, the funny thing is when you first see him, he has a shaved head and he, and he kind of looks somewhat like maybe the first sketch, but then you, if you do some digging into his background, he actually had longer curly hair, which not long curly hair, but a little bit, not like buzz cut. His hair now is buzz cut a couple years back when, when the murders took place. At that time, if you look into his Facebook pictures and stuff like that, he has these curly, reddish blonde hair, which is basically what they're they're saying with the new drawing. Yeah, it's weird because I could see where two years ago he may have looked like the old drawing, and today he looks like. Wait, I'm said that wrong. Reverse. I could it. yes, I could see where two years ago when Kurtz was 19. Now keep in mind that would fit within their their age range of 18 to 40. Now, right. mind you, that's a very large age range, but Kurtz was 19. I could see possibly him looking like the new sketch. And mm-hmm. now after two years of hard drugs and, and hard living, well, he and, looks like the old sketch. Well, and think about what the FBI tells you all the time when they're looking for somebody, look for somebody that had is making changes in their appearance. So when you have evidence on somebody's Facebook page that they had a haircut similar to the new drawing, and now when you see them two years later, they have a buzz cut. Well, that's not that big of a deal. You got two two years that they could have changed their haircut. But based off of what people have been searching on the Internet, it seems like he changed his uh, his haircut and his style roughly around the time of the Delphi murders. The other thing that's, there's a few more things about this Kurtz guy that are kind of freaking people out. One, um, he has a friend that people have found pictures of on his Facebook page that resembles the new sketch. So people question that. Also, Garrett Kurtz seems to have some, not just a tie to Delphi because his girlfriend is from there. There's speculation that he may have worked on Ron Logan's property or have some kind of involvement. There's people that have done some some good detective work where they've they've took pictures from uh from interviews with Ron Logan around the time of the murders that showed his horses in the background or him standing next to a horse and petting the horse. People have found photos on Garrett Kurtz's Facebook page from years ago where these horses appear to be very similar, if not, in fact, the same horses. Now, these pictures appear in September of 2016. I'm not certain if that's a timestamp or if that's when they were posted to his Facebook. But that's an interesting thing there as well. Before we move on to Garrett Kurtz, I also want to throw this out there, and this is yet to be confirmed, but I imagine we should know this fairly soon. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of speculation. Now, Garrett Kurtz is is, is not a saint. Uh, he's a terrible individual. It sounds like maybe he has admitted to killing Nicole Bowen, but even all even that one day aside, right? Let's remove that completely from his life. He's still not a saint. He's somebody that very obviously has some kind of drug problem. He has been arrested before, and that's where the speculation comes in that people are wondering if possibly he was in jail at the time of the murders. So I know that that is being looked into. I don't see why that would take very long to find out that information. But he's a relatively new suspect on this list, 
Well, and a lot of people talk about the press conference as well. There's this uh, statement that the sergeant is making, and, and he's talking, and kind of randomly he just he pulls a captain, right? He randomly gets off subject and starts talking about this movie about some cabin. Well, I <laughs> regarding this press conference and the new sketch, I I could we could do two more shows on that, and it, mm-hmm. I don't have the information right here in front of me, but. Are we convinced that he says the cabin and doesn't say the shack or the shack? Yeah, he he might have said the shack. But I, I because, guess there I guess there's some movie where But the, there's an issue with that because mm-hmm. there is there's a movie called The Cabin, there's a movie called The Shack. Mm-hmm. And they're two very different movies, two completely different stories. So if you look at something like The Cabin, it, it's it's more of a horror flick where the shack is more of a uh, kind of a grieving mm-hmm. film more of a more of a drama so without having that directly in front of me uh, i don't know how much i want to talk about that because those are two regarding depending right, on right, what he says it's right, two right, right. completely different thoughts that you could put into that possible statement right i just want to say that that there's a lot of people online saying there there's a statement that we actually covered this press conference. Like, I think we actually watched it and then recorded uh, off the record about the press conference. And I, I believe at the time we actually mentioned, well, that's strange. That was kind of a strange comment. And so because it's been strange and it kind of stuck out to people, once you got this guy arrested and they find the victim in a, in a shack or slash cabin or whatever you want to call it, that's where they start putting the connection with with this new with this new suspect. Right. So real quick here, my my general understanding, and again, we don't I don't have his the transcript of, of what was said at that press conference right. t- to know if he said shack or cabin. But from my understanding, the the story, the cabin, is more of a horror flick and it involves murder and torture and things of that nature. Right. Where the the film The Shack is more about grieving and coming to an acceptance of loss. Yes. So I think you're correct. So both of them could play both of them work into that yes. into his press conference in a way. Meaning, you know, look, because you can see the hurt on on the eyes and in, in the eyes and on the faces of the investigators at some of these press conferences. Now, Kurtz is somebody that is of concern, of interest here. One thing I question is his ability to get away with something doesn't, I mean, if in fact. His willingness to confess as well. Willingness to confess. If if in fact he did confess, somebody did. I'm assuming it came from him. But also very quickly asking for help in disposing of the body. There's just a lot of a lot of uh, mistakes very quickly made. We don't know what mistakes the bridge guy made, but Kurtz is not the last person that would, would become a suspect in the public's eyes because just last month, June 22nd at approximately four 30 in the morning, a 26 year old woman is driving and she's having some car troubles. She pulls over to the side of the road. Mm-hmm. This puts her on the property of 55-year-old Paul Etter. Paul offers to help this woman. She gets a bad feeling and says she doesn't need any help. Now, despite the issues she is having with the vehicle, she drives off anyway. Paul Etter decides to follow this woman. Mm, that's not creepy. I'm not certain how he caught up with her or if, in fact, her car finally gave out. Right. But Eventually, Paul Etter abducts the woman and takes her to his family's farm where he holds her there for hours and sexually assaults the woman. Mm. After several hours, he lets her go. She reports the abduction and rape, and now local law enforcement is looking for this Paul Etter. Somehow, he manages to evade police for almost five full days. This is until police spot a stolen vehicle a vehicle that was reported stolen. Right. Now, driving driving this stolen vehicle is Paul Etter. 
This leads to a five-hour-long standoff with police, and the result, Paul Etter commits suicide. Mm -hmm. Paul Etter is just the latest in a slew of suspects in this case. Police are very interested to find out some things about this man. First off, they want to find out where he was when he was on the run from police. Was he staying with somebody? Did he drive or travel in another vehicle other than the stolen one that he was later located in? Right. Does he have any connection to the still unsolved Delphi murders? Yeah, and he's he seems obviously older than the new sketch, but maybe it makes sense with the, with the old sketch. I just looked up the transcript real quick from the press conference that we were discussing. And in this version of the transcript, mm-hmm. I can't verify that it's 100% accurate, but it says he references the shack. Okay. Yeah, he says, we try so hard to understand how a person could do something like this to two children. I recently watched a movie called The Shack, and there's also a book that talks so well about evil, about death, and about eternity. So it might have nothing. Sounds like it has nothing to do with with the actual murderer, torture, or anything. It has more to do with the fact that he's grieving, the family's grieving, the community's grieving, and hey, this might be. uh, This sounds like something that possibly helped this law enforcement officer. Yeah, I read a brief description on the the book at shortly after that press conference, and. The way that it's described, the details of the book say that that a, somebody that is grieving over the loss of somebody goes to the shack, and at the shack or near the shack, they have the ability to speak with um, Jesus, with God, and with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I think it's it's through Party. it's through that that this individual in the story is able to accept the loss of their loved one. Yeah, and the, these are just the. I mean, we, there, there's a list, a, a big list that you put out, and and each one having some connections with the actual case. Some, it seems like law enforcement, not 100% clearing, but at least trying to get some light to not be shine, uh, shine so brightly on, on certain suspects. But uh, I wonder how many others are out there that have flown under the radar. Well, it seems to me like they're willing to, law enforcement's willing to say just enough to try to get the press off their back about a certain individual. Not so much to say that they've cleared this individual. I think that they are perfectly happy with continuing under the statement that they've always said everyone is a suspect. And I think they're fine with letting that just be for now. Mm Mm-hmm. So in July of this year, just earlier this month, July 9th, Libby's sister, Kelsey, took to YouTube this to debunk conspiracy surrounding the unsolved killings. Kelsey first began this post with a timeline of events the day that she dropped off Libby and Abby near the scenic Monin High Bridge. I want to say something here. I've seen people on YouTube and on different websites who question Kelsey Mm -hmm. that say that she has changed her story a bazillion times, that the things that she says does not make sense. I, I, I think these people are fools. If they could, if they could point out something that would make sense to me, send it our way. We got a blog at truecrimegarage.com. Put something up there to, to make me, see the light or understand this differently. I think Kelsey says it best. And if you and she, do, he'll pat you on the bottom. Well, she said it best on, on her YouTube where she says the, the whole week after the murders was a complete blur. So asking us to remember everything completely correct is so I don't even think it's possible. I don't think anybody can remember something specific after something tragic like that happens. So keep in mind, this is a is a young woman who who was even two years younger and lost her sister. Her sister was violently murdered after she dropped her off at this park. Right. So 
to call her anything other than a, a good big sister, I, I got no time for you, man. Yeah, but uh, to play devil's advocate. You, oh, here we go. You have to, oh, you know, it is not solved. We don't know everything. We don't know every detail. I think that there's one thing to keep possibilities open. I think it's it's irresponsible when they take um, victims, family members, and start throwing them under the bus with little to nothing there. But I don't think it's irresponsible to keep an open mind on on certain ideas. Okay, I don't I don't understand what what your point was. Um, okay, so the point is that. Well, calm down. It, well, <laughs> your point doesn't. I, my I, point made perfect sense. Did it? It did. You I'm just didn't understand. For, it. I'm, okay, so what? I'm asking for clarification. Right. So what I'm saying is, wow. yes, I understand that you can be angry at somebody for throwing a victim's family member under the bus. I get that. But I don't think it's irresponsible to keep an open mind on we don't know the answers. We don't know every detail. Uh, So to question her, to think that there's a possibility that there might be details that are wrong coming from her or other family members, I don't think that's irresponsible. But I do think it's irresponsible when people then you know, take something because somebody changed their story here and there and then all of a sudden try to point a guilty finger towards that person. Well, Kelsey went on to stress that her family has been nothing but cooperative with the police investigation. Keep in mind, I'm, I'm really simplifying this and really shortening this a lot because this was a very long video. She's really just addressing the fact that there has been so many people that have stated that somebody in her family is guilty of this crime. And she's just pointing out that they've been nothing but cooperative, in her opinion, with the police investigation, saying, quote, absolutely no one has refused a lie detector test. That is a very big misconception. We've been very open and gave the police everything that we know. She spoke highly of her relatives who have been smeared online and noted that alibis and other proof, she said, showed they had nothing to do with the killings. She also shot down any rumblings that her family and investigators were not getting along. She then addressed a more specific rumor. This stems from when authorities said that Libby's phone pinged off two towers mm-hmm. the day she disappeared. Armchair detectives theorized it must have been because the device was moving around town. But Kelsey said that was not the case. Libby's phone did ping on two towers, she said, but that was because the town is so small. If you move to one side of your house, your phone may switch towers sometimes. Right. And and I think this is tough for her family too because you have so many people that have been investing time and energy I mean, this is, I mean, we covered it early on, but we've talked about this case several times on Off the Record. And, but, you know, I I agree with you on the idea that some of these individuals, they're not even looking into the idea that somebody might have an alibi or they might have a bunch of evidence to point that they weren't involved at all. And these people online are then not even paying attention to that evidence and just running with their own theory because they had a gut feeling or they saw something and went, Oh, that guy, that guy gives me the heebie jeebies. So therefore they're guilty. Well, despite all of the suspects that we have mentioned on these last two shows, this case is far from being solved. The Indiana state police are still asking for your help the public's help. The FBI did release a list of behavioral clues that could help lead investigators to the killer or killers. The agency is asking the public to be on the lookout for anyone who has exhibited the following signs around the times of the murders. Changes to their daily routines, including modified sleep patterns, 
increased use of alcohol or drugs, cleaned or disposed of clothing and or shoes that might have been worn on February 13, 2017, missed work or other engagements, anxiety, nervousness, or irritability, excessive attention to the investigation, media coverage, or lengthy discussions related to the murders. On Monday, February 13, 2017, the individual or individuals responsible for these crimes may have been absent from work, missed or canceled an appointment or social engagements, or been unavailable or unresponsive during the afternoon period. The FBI explained this in their news release. They state, They may have been a no-show or offered a plausible excuse for their absence or tardiness, such as illness, death in the family, car trouble, etc. If anyone has any information at all, or if you have a tip, police want those emailed to them. They have stated publicly several times, this is how they would prefer to receive tips, and you can email any info to Abby and Libby Tip at CACOSHRF.com. That's Abby and Libby Tip at CACOSHRF.com. And of course, if you have information, but you believe that you are in danger, please call 911. I want to thank everybody for listening and joining us in the garage. If you have thoughts on this case, please go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the blog. Do we have any recommended reading this week? Uh, Yes, Captain. This week we are recommending Kentucky Bloodbath. This is by Wild Blue Press, which has really become one of the big publishers for true crime in the last five to ten years. So anything from Wild Blue Press, I'm always excited about. This is by Kevin Sullivan, who we have recommended his books before. This is Kentucky Bloodbath, Ten Bizarre Tales of Murder from the Bluegrass State. And you can find that title along with other recommendations at truecrimegarage.com on the recommended page. I want to thank everybody for sharing these cases on social media and helping to spread the word. We need more information. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.